And would you pray with me, please? God, we are just so grateful that that song is true, that just wherever we are this morning, you love us. Help that truth just be anchored in our souls. Help us to receive that truth this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Everybody, I'm convinced, knows the name Bernie Madoff, right? In 2009, he was convicted of the largest financial fraud in American history. $65 billion he took in a Ponzi scheme that defrauded 4,800 people. And some pretty big names were on that list. Steven Spielberg, Kevin Bacon, even Larry King bought into what Bernie Madoff was selling. When it was all done, he was sent to prison for 150 years. He was ordered to pay $17 billion in restitution. As the trial went on, his life crumbled around this 75-year-old man. His son committed suicide. His wife divorced him. On a human scale, it was a tragic story to watch unfold. So what if I told you over the last four years he spent in prison that Bernie Madoff, over conversations with a prison chaplain, has found Jesus. He's accepted Christ. He has confessed and owned everything that he did. He's actually had conversation with federal agents, told them that actually the money wasn't all lost. It's been tucked away in offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands. Billions of dollars were invested in legitimate stocks. And billions more are sitting in those accounts. He's made arrangements with the federal agents to pay back every dime with interest to the 4,800 people he defrauded. Not only that, he's going to pay each of them a penalty for the pain and suffering he caused them. Some of them losing their entire life fortune in the process. He's also negotiated with the federal agents to pay a $2 billion fine to the U.S. government, covering all the court costs for the prosecution, paying a penalty to the government for his crimes. And in exchange for all of this, the government is considering releasing the now 79-year-old Madoff from prison to live out the few years he has left in relative obscurity. Does all of that change your perspective about him? Now, I don't know if any of that's true. It hasn't been in the papers. In fact, I made it all up. But that raises some really serious questions. 
can people really change? Why are some of you, and why am I, so skeptical about that very question? And what really happens in other people's lives and in our life when we finally decide to deal with the mess and choose a better life. In Jesus' day, there were certain jobs that carried a heavy social stigma. They actually called them despised trades. That was the term that they gave to them. Now, some of the jobs that made that list, I get. Some, I don't quite understand why they made the list. On the list was being a doctor and being a butcher. I'm not sure why those were on the list. Some of the jobs I understand. One of the occupations that made the list simply because it was disgusting was being a dung collector. Let me be clear, that was a poop scooper. You could actually choose in Jesus' day to make your job being a poop scooper. Okay, think back to high school. Remember all those aptitude tests you took in high school? Imagine being a junior in high school, taking that aptitude test, sitting down with your guidance counselor, and they're saying, based on your skills, your intelligence, and your abilities, your best shot in life is to be a poop scooper. I don't think I'd have finished high school, would you? I'd just call it quits right there. I mean, how much Algebra 2 do I need to do that job? You know, compute the angle? Of, no, I don't need it. So there were some skills, some jobs that were just disgusting, but there were other jobs that were not only disgusting, they were immoral. And there were interesting jobs that were on that list. People on that list that chose that job, they weren't just disgusting, they were shunned by society. There were a lot of those lists. On that list were people who gambled with dice. It was very specific. You gambled with dice. It wasn't just any kind of gambling. Also on that list was anybody who loaned money and charged interest for a living. So sorry, bankers in the crowd, uh, that was you. Because it was especially considered in that time that anybody that did that would cheat the poor. But on all the lists, I mean, there are great variances with the list, but on all the lists, specifically at the bottom of the list, the most disgusting person you could be was... A tax collector. So not much has changed. I mean, like IRS, tax collector, it's pretty much the same list even today. Bottom of list, choose that job, and you were in Jesus' day instantly the most disliked person in your town, in your region, in the nation. You were the equivalent in your day of Bernie Madoff. Keep that picture in mind. Because that's the person who encounters Jesus today in the passage we're going to look at. He was a tax collector. And his name was Zacchaeus. Luke is the only one who tells us about this encounter. And here's what he says. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. That means that he had lots of people who worked for him. He was a big deal at the IRS. And he had become very rich. I'll tell you how in just a minute. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up a sycamore fig tree beside the road, because Jesus was going to pass by that way. 
When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. The Bible doesn't tell us if his wife was equally as excited about bringing this unexpected crowd to his house, but Zacchaeus certainly was. Now, there were a lot of things working against this encounter in Jesus with Jesus actually happening for Zacchaeus. First in that list is that he was a tax collector. He was shunned by society. It's safe to assume that at the very least, Zacchaeus is guilty of a lot of dishonesty in his life, and realistically, he is guilty of mass extortion. He's in charge of collecting taxes for the largest of three tax zones in Palestine. And the Roman tax system was just set up for fraud. If you're not familiar with it, here's how it worked. Rome would take a city or a region and would set the amount of money that they wanted in taxes from that region. So Zacchaeus had a goal he had to hit in terms of tax money he got. Anything he collected, he and his minions collected out of that region, above that amount was their pay. And they got to keep all of it. Rome didn't really care if the effective tax rate for that region was 10% or 90%. Anything above what Rome wanted, Zacchaeus and his guys could keep as their money. And they could set that rate at their whim. You understand why they were hated so much by people? They were the ultimate cheats and frauds in their day. So when verse 2 says, Zacchaeus had become very rich, it's safe to assume it wasn't through hard work, it wasn't through family inheritance, it wasn't through winning the lottery. Also, by the time Zacchaeus got to the streets to take a look at Jesus, they were already lined with people. And Luke tells us he was just too short to see over them. And I think that's hilarious. I don't know how you read the Bible, but when I read it, I like to picture it as a movie playing out when I read scenes like this. It just helps me to visualize the story. And when I visualize this story, I picture Danny DeVito playing Zacchaeus. (laughs) It just fits. I don't even know if he's Jewish. But, you know, I love especially the picture of him hugging the tree here. You know, it just fits. So you got to picture Danny DeVito, right? The back of the crowd, this uber-rich dude who gets everything that he wants in life, bouncing up and down on his toes like Tigger, trying to see over the crowd. And if you're in that crowd, and Danny DeVito's bouncing up down, down behind you, you're going to recognize him, right? you got to figure some NBA-class elbows were thrown in that crowd as Zacchaeus is bouncing up and down trying to see Jesus. Oh, sorry, dude, didn't know it was you. Right. So this is what's going on. To make it even more funny, Zacchaeus does two things that rich people never did in that culture. Just socially unacceptable. First of all, he runs, and then he climbs a tree. You just didn't do that if you were rich. It wasn't cool. For us today, it would be like Queen Elizabeth running down the street and climbing a tree to get a view of Oprah. Okay, somebody after first service said, did you just compare Jesus to Oprah? No, I did not. Okay, but it's just kind of that image in your mind. 
Now, it's really easy for us to take a look at this story, read the whole thing, and think that this is a story about power and money. It's not. That just happens to be the mess in Zacchaeus' life. That's almost irrelevant to the story. The real point of the story, I think, is just that there's a mess in his life. And how he tried to hide his mess from Jesus. And I really think that's what it was. There's this battle going on in Zacchaeus' life already. In his heart. His entire life has been a series of contradictions. Extorting money from his friends, from the Jewish community, is in contradiction with the threads of faith that he still has left over from his childhood. The money that he's extorting is going directly to Rome to support the suppression of his Jewish friends and community. And maybe the greatest irony of all has to do with his name. How many of you really wrestled with what you were going to name your kids? Like, spend time picking up. Yeah, you're wrestling right now, aren't you? Um, what are you going to name your kids? What's that name mean? And you want the name to have some significance. Zacchaeus' Hebrew name meant pure, innocent. His life is anything but that. Every time his name got called, he was reminded he's not living up to his name. He's anything but that. Zacchaeus may not have fully understood what was going on in his heart, but he felt the dissonance. He knew his heart was a mess. And I think that from the beginning of the story, Zacchaeus is trying to hide his mess from Jesus. With all his wealth and power, Zacchaeus could have commanded a front row seat with an unobstructed view of Jesus. No problem. And Luke tells us, honestly, he just wanted to get, what? A glimpse of Jesus. He didn't want to talk to him. That would have been too risky. So I think he arrives at the scene late on purpose. To stand in the shadows. And when he can't see, he runs down the street and he climbs up a tree. It's his plan B. He chooses a sycamore fig tree. It's an amazing tree. I mean, look at this picture. It has this huge base to it that makes it really easy for a short man to climb. And it's got these wide, low-spreading branches that make it really easy to hide. In a sycamore fig tree, you can get a glimpse of Jesus, and potentially he won't get a glimpse of you. I think Zacchaeus is afraid Jesus is going to figure out the mess in his life. And he's hiding. And it's silly, really. Because the Bible tells us nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Zacchaeus is exposed when Jesus is walking down the street and then he walks right over to the tree And he looks right up at Zacchaeus. And then he calls him 
by name. How freaky would that be? You're hanging out in the tree trying to hide, and this guy you've never met calls you by name. It's pretty much over at that point, isn't it? I think his blood pressure went up. His heart rate went up. I mean, you're pretty much going to spill your guts at that point. You know, this guy you've never met calls you by name. It's done. I think we're all a little bit like Zacchaeus. We have the same issues. It doesn't matter whether we're five or 75. Our first response when we realize we've done something wrong is to hide. We hide because we don't want to be exposed. We hide because we're afraid that if the truth is known about us, we won't be loved. We hide from the truth. We hide the truth from others, and we even try to hide the truth from God. But the reality is that things that are hidden can't be loved or forgiven. Jesus calls Zacchaeus out, and his hiding is over. And apparently this relief washes over him. He hurries down from the tree and with real excitement and real joy, he welcomes Jesus into his home for a meal. But Zacchaeus isn't the only one with a mess that day. Look at the crowd's response to this meal that's happening. The people, Luke says, were displeased. And I think that's an understatement. They say, well, Jesus is going to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. If the people were confused about Jesus, well, why Jesus would talk to Zacchaeus, they went ballistic at the idea that he was going to have a meal with Zacchaeus. And it wasn't just a few people in the crowd. It was the whole crowd. This grumbling started like a low rumble over here and just swept over the whole crowd like a wave. What is he doing? Who does he think he is? Does he understand who Zacchaeus is? This notorious sinner. This fault finding and complaining went through hundreds of people and essentially everybody was saying, I want to judge your mess. Let's not talk about mine right now. It's interesting that Jesus made it a practice to hang out with people like Zacchaeus all throughout his ministry. If you just read the Gospel of Luke, you'll find that he hung out with tax collectors all the time. In fact, Matthew, one of the twelve disciples, was a tax collector when Jesus called him. When Matthew became one of the followers of Jesus, the very first thing that he did was what? He threw a party. He invited every IRS agent he knew to come to the party. That had to be fun. And they all came in for the express purpose of meeting Jesus. And the interesting thing is that Luke records that the spiritual elite, the teachers, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, had a reaction to finding out that Jesus was hanging out with the IRS agents. Here's what they said to Jesus. They went right up to him and said, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? And I'm sure they meant scum in the best possible sense of the word. And Jesus answered them quite simply. He said, look, I've come into this world for those who recognize their spiritual need for God's grace 
in healing. Jesus made it a habit of hanging out with the down and outers instead of the up and comers or the spiritually elite. And the elite never really liked that. They didn't like who Jesus hung out with. Jesus taught the tax collectors. He baptized the tax collectors. He actually used tax collectors as examples in his parables of humble, righteous living. And when the spiritually elite heard that, it just made their heads spin. Because again, they were socially ostracized. They expected Jesus, when he walked up to Zacchaeus, to say something like this. Hey, you know, Zacchaeus, I see you up there. Here's the deal. If you'll clean up your life, if you'll change your profession, I'll come to your house. I'm not going to come over today because it'd look like I'm condoning your choices in your life. And frankly, for me to come to your house right now, you know, I'm building a ministry and I can't afford the criticism that would cause. So clean up your life a little bit. I'll be back through Jericho in a few weeks. We'll talk then and see how you're doing and maybe I'll come over in a few weeks. You know, we'll Skype, we'll email, we'll see how you're doing. I'll touch base. That's what they expected. Jesus doesn't say anything like that. Jesus befriends Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus gets respectable. He ate and drank with Zacchaeus before he ever had a spiritual conversation with him. Jesus' way was way better. He didn't judge him. He didn't condemn him. He didn't punish him, make him suffer, grovel, or beg. Knowing fully who Zacchaeus was, Jesus threw open the doors and offered him radical acceptance and forgiveness. And the love that Jesus showed Zacchaeus helped him deal with a lie that we are all tempted to believe. And it's this. My mess makes me believe that I can never change. The longer I hang on to the messes in my life, the more I'm tempted to believe it's just who I am. I'll never change. How many times do you think in his life Zacchaeus felt the sting of that lie? I'll always be the scum that people think I am. But Jesus saw something different in Zacchaeus, and he sees something different in you. He saw an open heart. Somewhere in the course of their meal together, Zacchaeus changed. And when the grumbling crowd is still looking on and they're still protesting, Zacchaeus stands up and he makes this bold announcement. He says, I'm going to give away half my wealth to the poor, Jesus. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus had an instant response. He said, salvation has come to this home today. For this man, this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. It's really, really easy for us to get so trapped in the mess and the sin, the addictions in our lives. So wrapped up in them that we believe we can never change. Zacchaeus blows the door off that lie in a single meal. 
One day, one day, he is radically changed by the love of God. Jesus wipes away the mess in his life, changes his heart, and gives him a new life. And Zacchaeus' response to that is way beyond anything that would have been expected in that culture. A very generous person in Jesus' day would give away 20% of what they owned. Zacchaeus gave away half. If a thief was brought to court and he confessed to his crimes, he was expected to repay what he had stolen, plus an additional 20%. Zacchaeus gave four times. I think it's hard for me sometimes to read that and understand the magnitude of what Zacchaeus was promising to do. So I did a little math this week, figured out if Zacchaeus were an IRS agent in Elgin, and he had just made that four times commitment, was going to make restitution to all the taxpayers in Elgin for the taxes he'd stolen, what he would start handing out tomorrow is the equivalent of $1.1 billion. It's not a small deal in his life when he responds to the grace that Jesus has shown him. All the dissonance is gone in his life. Zacchaeus chooses a better way and he allows Jesus to immediately reorder the priorities and the trajectory of his life. In his great novel, The Robe, Lloyd Douglas imagines what we don't get in Scripture, this entire dinner conversation between Jesus and Zacchaeus and what it must have been like. And when it comes to what happened after Zacchaeus stands up and makes this bold pronouncement, Douglas imagines Jesus looking at Zacchaeus and going, oh my gosh, what prompted you to do that? Zacchaeus says, Master, when I looked in your eyes, I saw mirrored there the Zacchaeus I was intended to be. That's what following Jesus does for us. It frees us up to be the person that God intended us to be. It's a better way. Can you imagine the shock that rippled through that region? As Zacchaeus joyfully lived out the promise he made that day. As the agents went out on their black donkeys with black robes and sunglasses and handed out bags of money. I'm just guessing that's what IRS agents did in that day. They didn't have SUVs. They just handed out bags of money and apologies for the way they treated people. As poor people were treated to wealth, like Bill Gates' level wealth was distributed all throughout the region to help the poor. And we're told the story of how Jesus had changed Zacchaeus' life. And all of that flowed out of a grateful heart that had come out of hiding. The crowd wanted to deal with the mess in a different way. They wanted Zacchaeus to grovel or beg or change his ways, do something to make up for the horrible life he had lived and the pain that he'd caused. Somehow show evidence of change. In essence, they wanted him to earn forgiveness from Jesus and from them. 
earn the right to be with Jesus. That's human nature. And that's exactly wrong. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us there's not anything we can do in our lives to earn forgiveness from Jesus. It's impossible. The good news is forgiveness is free. It's a gift. And there's something twisted in our human nature that makes that harder for us. If we could earn it, it'd be easier. The gift being free makes it hard. We're just a little twisted that way. But Jesus' way is better. It's a gift. He's got it covered. He's got it taken care of. His forgiveness is a gift. All we have to do is the hard work of coming out of hiding and accepting. God's thrown open the doors to the ragamuffins and the riffraff like Zacchaeus, like you and me. And he said, come, just follow. It's a better way. So what's holding you back? What are you waiting for? You are just one decision away from a better life.